Welcome to this episode of Safe Home Podcast for struggling teens and their families finding their healing path. I'm Beth Syverson, a mom of an 18-year-old son, Joey, who's been dealing with addiction and mental health issues for several years. I'm walking beside him as he struggles with his recovery while I work on my own personal growth and healing. Our safe home has four pillars, addiction, mental health, adoption, and diversity. Today, we're going to be leaning on the adoption pillar primarily. Today's guest is Lori Holden, an adoptive mom of two teens, author of the book, The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption, Helping Your Child Grow Up Whole, written with her daughter's birth mom and featured on required reading lists with adoption agencies across the country. She's also a blogger at LavenderLoose.com and host of the podcast, Adoption The Long View. Lori is an influential voice in the adoption world, advocating for openness in all kinds of adoption relationships. She often keynotes at adoption conferences and speaks to new and prospective adoptive families, helping them realize the benefits to everyone of maintaining transparency in the adoption process. I am so grateful to have another adoptive parent ally who is working as I am to help adoptive families heal from the grief, pain, and loss and ambiguities inherent in the adoption process. She and I both believe that adoption can be wonderful for all involved, but that adoption also inherently contains trauma and pain for all involved, and most particularly the adoptees. Whether or not your family has been affected by adoption, you will learn from Lori's wise viewpoint about how we can all be more open and creative in our complex relationships with one another. So welcome to Safe Home, Lori. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks, Beth. It's great to be here with you. And on this side of the interview, it's wonderful. And I really, <laughs> really loved what you said about you doing your own work, because I found in my own journey that that is just the one of the biggest key pieces that there is, is that we parents do our own work. Yeah. Yep. If someone asked me, what's the one thing you learned with this whole thing with Joey, I'd say that I'm responsible for my own work. And all the stuff that Joey's been through has only helped me grow by learning about myself in this whole process. And it's a huge piece. I think a lot of times parents don't want to hear that part because they're like, I'd rather it be my child that's the problem and not me. But dang it, we're the problem too. So I just told Joey the other day, I'm grateful. I'm, I'm grateful that he's taken us through this journey because of where it's brought us. So I'm sure, I'm sure you're the same way and it's, it's tough, but it's really important. Yeah. The fullness and abundance of an examined life as opposed mm. to an unexamined life where you skate through and you don't have to look at anything. And yes, I, yes. I would choose this as well. I would too, being on this side of it before I'd be like, Oh no, I don't right. want to look at that perspective. <laughs> If you can just get through it with some support and, you know, that's what we're here for, just to kind of let people know it's possible and give these resources and support. So, and I, I'm so happy to have you here today. It's so great to have another adoptive parent ally. And in the adoptive parent world, there's a couple different kind of adoptive parents, aren't there? <laughs> there's the kind that just think adoption is the best thing in the whole wide world. Everybody's happy, happy, joy, joy, unicorns and butterflies. and that's, uh, it's a hard bubble to burst for people. When did you realize adoption wasn't unicorns and butterflies? Did you learn that early on in your adoptive process or? It was after I was already a parent to my two children and I joined an adoption forum. This was even before the days of Facebook groups. Oh, okay. And I was in a pretty healthy open adoption with my daughter's birth mom. 
And I thought open adoption was just this most amazing thing that I lucked into and I wanted to preach it to everybody from the rafters and show how good it can be. And when I did that in this adoption forum, I got soundly spanked. <gasps> wow. That was my first even glimmer that adoption was not awesome for everybody. I, I didn't know. People are offended about being open. Yeah, they what they know about adoption is what we see in movies and um, plot twists. And it's all tro uh, tropes and mm -hmm. stereotypes and happy ever afters. And yes. I started out with this very simplistic view of it. And I am so grateful to the people who gave me that spanking. Ah. <laughs> that very, it, it was painful at the time. It was very public. I it was bet. very shaming. But I think one of the things that I did then, which has served me with my children, is I got curious. I got curious mm -hmm. as to where's the truth in what they're saying. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to miss the whole message by yeah. being hurt and closing the door and pushing it away. Mm -hmm. I thought there might be something in there that I need to know to be a better parent to my children. And I, I will feel bruised about this for a couple of days and I'll put this away, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to try to find out what is there that I need to know. And some of those people have become my best teachers. They've been oh. very patient with me after that, but it was a rip off the bandaid moment. <laughs> now, were they on the side of these are our children? We don't want to be open with the birth parents or were they uh, on the more progressive side of things? What, what were they arguing with you about? I wasn't measuring it on that spectrum. I didn't realize as an adoptive mom what it was like in the other corners of what we call the triad. So the people who were schooling me were birth parents. Oh, you, oh, I thought it was just adoptive parents. And adult adoptees. Oh, yeah. Got so, it. and I think you've probably been through something like that too. Yes, Maybe not yes, with the yes. spanking, but with the dawning on you of, oh, just because this is great in my corner of the world. Right. Doesn't mean it's, rainbows and unicorns for everybody. And now, you know, now you live it a while and you realize it's not rainbows and, and unicorns for anybody all right. the time. There are moments yeah, yeah. of joy and there are moments of deep sadness and grief yeah. for everybody. And the adoptive parent, even if your relationship with your child is fabulous, most adoptive parents are dealing with infertility grief that probably got swept under the rug. Right. I know that's what I, I just was like, okay, moving on. Right. Don't even want to think about that. You hear the clock ticking. You don't want yeah. to be an old parent. You don't want to risk mm -hmm. not getting picked because you're older than all the other ones who are waiting to get picked. Mm -hmm. And so, so you move quickly. And I get that. I, I hear that. But I think there is a lot to the statement that adopting a child doesn't cure your infertility. Right. And that needs to be dealt with somehow. Oh. We kind of think that filling your arms will make everything better. Yeah. And I don't really like to quote Dr. Phil, but I think he's the one who said no baby should be born with a job. <laughs> exactly. That just really fits in adoption. No child should be meant yes. to cure anything in, in their household, Absolutely. whether it's a marriage or a broken heart or anything like that. Yes. On an adoptive parents group recently, one of the unicorns and rainbows kind, I saw this parent wanting to have an adoption party because the court date was coming and they wanted to throw a party, which was lovely, a lovely sentiment, but they wanted the whole theme of the party to be puzzles. And everybody was supposed to write a sentiment on a puzzle piece because the whole thing was this child is filling in the missing puzzle piece of this family's puzzle. And I 
gently said, oh, that's so beautiful that, you know, you're trying to plan this lovely event. I know you have a good heart, but you might want to rethink that because that is a lot to put on anyone to be the missing puzzle piece to fit exactly into your family, this precise exact way. It ain't going to happen. I'm sorry to tell you. Sounds like that Um, child was born not just with a job, but with a shape. Honestly, I just, I felt so bad. And then everyone else was like, oh, that's so cute. The puzzles. Yay. I'm like, oh no. But a few people saw my comment and liked it or whatever, but I just try to like put my little two cents in every once in a while when I can. But it's, I think as adoptive parents, we don't realize that that could be harmful. We think, oh, how cute a puzzle. That's so nice. Well, we we're so myopic at, yeah. at a certain stage where all we see is our own viewpoint And then once you see otherwise, you can't ever unsee it again and you see it everywhere. And for people who haven't gotten there yet, and what you did was just perfect, just kind of a subtle, what do you think this looks like from your child's perspective? They are going to need their missing pieces. And I hope that you're as committed to your child's puzzle as you are to your own. Oh yeah. The child's puzzle is a big pile right now, right? (laughs) With a bunch of missing pieces. Yeah. And you don't even know what the pieces look like. Yeah. You don't have the box anymore to know how it's supposed to look. Exactly. Oh gosh. So what part of your adoption story are you interested in telling us? Just so we know where you came from and what your perspective was. Yeah. uh, We came to adoption through infertility and we were in our mid thirties. So the clock was ticking and the fertility journey proved to be very difficult. We just got roadblocks everywhere. Once we switched to adoption and figured out which path of adoption we were going to go with, which was domestic infant adoption, and we narrowed down to the agency that we went with, and then we went to their adoption school, which is where I learned about open adoption, and it just made so much more sense to me from how that would feel to the child, but also mm-hmm. how it would feel to me. I will tell you that when I was sitting in the in adoption school, and they told me that I could have contact with birth parents for all the way through, I was really relieved, not just for the child, the hypothetical child. I was relieved for me because I think I had carried this fear that, oh no, when they turn 18, they're going to leave me behind and go out there and find, you know, the mystery fantasy people and I will be discarded. And so the idea of being able to hold close somebody who was important to my child was appealing to me in kind of a self-centered way that worked. It, it worked in our favor because that made me learn all the other kinds of things. But, you know, we always start from our own self-interest. That's how change is made is you figure out why it benefits you or somebody you love. And then sure. you move out from there. So once we, once we got on the road to adoption, things seemed to go fairly easily. All the crossing gates that had been closed before were opening and we waited about a week for my daughter's birth mom to call us and pick us. And in that situation, we did get to be in the hospital room. It was a um, dream situation for us. I think she would tell you it was what she wanted as well. She wanted us all to be there. So that kind of cemented this, uh, not just having contact with her. What I've come to believe is it's not just the contact piece that makes the difference for the adoptee. It's the vibe that you have between you, this, this sense of relationship. So There were a couple of times in the hospital experience and in the early days of our relationship that we had some really trust building moments and Mm -hmm. we, we always chose the path of trust. 
Sometimes it was me taking the leap of faith. And sometimes it was her. She took the biggest leap of faith. But I think those early trust-based incidents really led us to a deep understanding and relationship with each other. Is there an example you can give? Well, just having us be in the room at that moment Mm -hmm. was, I, I just had such gratitude in my heart for getting to have that experience. I do know now that that's a controversial thing for birth parents, for adoptees, but I've worked with a lot of, with an organization that works with them in the hospital. And sometimes that's what they want. They want to know. They want to get to know the people pre-birth yeah. and they get to craft it. I think that's where I uh-huh. would come down on this. As long as they have kind of a lot of knowledge and a lot of autonomy, uh-huh. they get to craft it. So that was one of them. And then when we were leaving the hospital, Crystal, who's my daughter's birth mom, had spent the last, I don't know, 48 hours or however long she'd had having her friends come in, her family come in, meet the baby, see her and the baby, mm-hmm. meet us. We were kind of merging our families even at that time. Uh-huh. But her grandmother, who was homesick with cancer, was unable to get to the hospital. And so it weighed heavily on Crystal that her grandma wasn't going to get to meet the baby because we didn't really know it was coming after that. So we all left the hospital at the same time. Crystal and her mom got in their car to go their way. We got in with the car seat and the baby to go our way. And we decided instead that we would go to Crystal's house where her grandmother was. Crystal's Aww. mom's house where her grandmother was. So that, that was our very first stop on the way home from the hospital. And it meant so much to everybody and to, to kind of cement how important biology was. Mm-hmm. When we went into that house, Crystal sat there and held the daughter we both claim. Her mom was there and her grandmother was there. So there were four generations of them. And there's a moment that I, that I talk about where they were looking at the baby's toes. They all have the same funky toenail. (laughs) I don't have the funky toenail. So it was a moment of crisis for me because I was feeling like an outsider, an imposter. And to Crystal's great credit, she was very inclusive in that moment. She was in tune with me, which is amazing. I mean, how can somebody have so much presence with that? That's amazing. She'd just given birth two days ago. And all this, this crux of this adoption moment you're going to leave with her, with her child, right? Yeah. Both child, but her child that she just birthed. Wow. How old was her birth mother? She was 21 at the time and she was parenting a four-year-old son. So she was, she'd already had this parenting thing down. Oh, she just couldn't parent two babies. Okay. So she found her next best option. And, Uh but the, the next thing that happened in that one moment is the baby started crying and me not knowing, I, I didn't even bring the diaper bag in. I didn't have the formula <laughs> ready. So Crystal's the one who's made a joke and kind of said to me, hey, you better go get that bag. Because uh-huh, she knows about diaper yeah, bags and knew, everything. But she didn't say it in a mean way. or oh. it, it was just that just a lot of care and concern oh. between us in those moments really kind of cemented this wishing each other well, no matter what. That's very touching. It's very, very touching. And I'm going to guess pretty unusual. Maybe. And I don't, we, you know, the whole reason why we wrote the book is because we wanted to try to help people see that it can happen. And it, it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't take super people to do it. You just, you just got to care, be curious, be open, be kind. And, you know, hard things do come up and you deal with them with that same curiosity, openness and compassion. Yeah. Just like any family member, right? Right. It's not always fabulous with anyone 
yeah. you're born with or whatever. Whoever. And you bring up a really good point. We make the baby's family our family. Yeah, right. Yes. And I should, let me backtrack what I said about baby. And I'm thinking about the moment when she was a baby, but I, uh-huh. I always want people who are listening about having long-term adoption relationships to understand that the goal is for that baby to come a fully autonomous adult ah. and we don't want to infantilize them. They are, ah. they are not babies very long. They're not toddlers very yes. long. They're, they're school age for quite a while, but they're, you know, they're going to have their own thoughts and views on yeah. their own adoption and yes. your performance in their adoption. Ah, Yes. I've heard that infantilization adoptees. Well, often they're called the adopted child, mm-hmm. even if they're an adult and just, hello, we're grown up now. And to kind of rethink how we think about adoptees all together. That's really important. There's one of the adoption groups I'm on. The title of the adoption group is You Are Mom. It's for the adoptive parents. And what it's implying is that the birth parent is no longer the mom at all. Like, bye-bye. And I, <laughs> I joined that just to see what's going on in the world. But it sounds like you and your child's birth mother, both are sharing her. Is that how you would describe it? Yeah, we both claim her and we are both claimed by her. Mm. And then later on, my son came around two years later and and the same thing goes there. And birth fathers are around as well. But I think when you talk about a group with a name like You Are Mom, you hit on one of my, my core messages, which is Adoption during the closed era or the baby scoop era, we were operating from this either or perspective. Mm. Being conceived out of wedlock was so shameful and Mm. conceiving somebody out of wedlock was so shameful and experiencing infertility and not being able to contribute to the gene pool was so shameful. Mm. We had to hide that shame from everybody by putting up a wall between the biological family and the adoptive family. And we made this wall so high, you can't get over, so thick, you can't get through. Mm. We even go to the extent in many states these days of lying on vital records to say that dates and names of people who did and didn't do things are are on an official record. Yeah, it's crazy. So this either or mindset of you're in this family or in this family, you have this mother or that mother. And the more legitimacy she has, then it comes out of my. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some finite bank account of uh, of compassion or something. And it just rips apart the adoptee, basically. Exactly. We're making them choose or feel like a traitor if they want to go find out about their birth family. They, no, we split oh. their loyalties. We split their hearts. We split their psyches. We split their identities with this either or thinking. Yeah. And it's so not hard to instead take on the both and. I started off with choosing both and over either or in terms of families, but I've realized it's also about all the emotions with adoption. It's not all happy, happy, joy, joy. Mm -hmm. And it's not all trauma and tragedy. We can have both of those things in our hearts at the same time. Mm -hmm. And the more expansive we can be in holding those feelings, the better we can serve our adoptees. I think that's just so such good advice just in general for just mental health generally, uh, is that we can have both from the point of view of an adoptee. We can be grateful to have an adoptive family that loves us and really feel like it sucks that I didn't grow up with my birth family. It's okay to have both. It doesn't mean the adoptive family is evil or 
horrible or anything. It, although some of them are horrible, <laughs> but it, it can just be all of it. And that's okay for everybody. Yeah. You make me think about open adoption being a panacea in case anybody is hearing us say, all you need is both and, and everything's great. Mm. And we don't split the baby, but even open adoption, I, I think is in that both and space for adoptees. It is hard mm-hmm. to watch your birth mom raise another child, but you don't yeah. live there. You don't get to stay there. Um, and at the same time, you love your adoptive parents and you love the life you have there. Yeah. So it's it's the both of those things. And going back to when we were talking about we doing our own work, the more we parents can have that expansiveness to to acknowledge and embrace opposing forces then we're modeling that for our child we're giving them permission to do it and then when they can have their feelings they're just better set to deal with their feelings yeah definitely well and there's a certain generation of adoptees or maybe that's still happening where the adoptive parents just said nope we're not talking about it i'm your parent we're not even going there. And that is just so hard. And then they have to basically wait for their adoptive parents to die in order to try to find any relatives or, or explore anything about their adoption because they've been so shut down. I hope that that's changing. And I know the work you're doing in the adoption world is, is helping that to change. Yeah, that closed era, that baby scoop era, just Oof. such a number on everybody, not just on birth parents. And not just on adoptees, but even on adoptive parents. That oh, we yeah. were just told, just love them like your own. You'll never mm-hmm. have to deal with this. We're not going to give you tools to deal with this because you have nothing to deal with. And right. then they're gobsmacked when the yeah. child does say something like, you're not my real mom. Or yeah. I miss her. Or I wonder what she's like. And and as an adoptive parent, you're you're not ready for that. You were told it wouldn't happen. And if you haven't done your work on that, then that cuts you. Yes. It's so personal, but it's not really personal, but it feels personal. It does feel personal. And then you, you have a wounded sore spot there that hasn't been attended to. And when something gets near your sore spot, you react and you're likely to react at your child who is just sharing a feeling or an observation with you. And then you become in that moment unsafe to share things with in the future. And they're like, oh, nope, nope, I'm not going to talk yep. about that anymore. Bring that so, back in. <laughs> yeah. So, it, okay. So, Lori, say your child said, I miss my birth mom. I wish I could hug my birth mom. What should the adoptive parents say at that moment? Or what could they say? I don't like the word should. Adding choice in there. <laughs> you and I both listened to Dr. Brad Reedy, and we did. <laughs> yeah. uh, which is a, a, I would love to get that on the show notes as it's such a good resource. Oh yeah, I definitely will put his stuff on there. Always returning to compassion and empathy as one of like the core things. You want to walk alongside your child whenever you can. Oh honey, tell me about that. That's mm-hmm. open. That's curious. Mm-hmm. That gives the child room to enter that space with you and feel safe. Mm-hmm. What a privilege it is for your child to say that to you. Yes. That's them coming up to you with a with a with a dandelion that they think is the most precious yes. thing in the world. And yes. you ooh and awe over the dandelion, you're gonna get more dandelions. Yes. I feel really terrible about a moment. I think Joey was about eight, and it might have been the first time he brought anything up about adoption. And I totally messed it up. He said, mom, I think my birth mother or whatever he called her at the time threw me away and I feel really bad. 
I feel like I'm garbage. And instead of saying, oh, honey, I hear you. That must feel horrible. I said, oh, no, 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 honey. You're not garbage. You weren't thrown away. We love you. And your birth mother loved you. Not arguing with him, but like telling him his feelings were just not right at that point. And I, oh God, I wish I could go back and do that again. But okay, so tell us what I should have said (laughs) in that point. Well, uh, just as as an observation, you were doing the best you could at the time. Yeah. And so yeah. compassion for your for yourself. Yeah. And then the other thing is we always get do-overs. Yeah. It, it's okay to take a do-over when you figure something out. Hey, you know, yesterday I didn't handle it the way I wish I had, or mm-hmm. maybe there is a statute of limitations at some point. <laughs> hey, remember 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um I think leading with openness and curiosity. Oh, tell me what makes you say that. I'm re- I'd really like to understand this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is such a gift to give another person to be understood and to make yeah. the effort to understand. So just an open-ended question. Uh-huh. Tell me more about that. I, uh, I'm really curious. I love that curiosity word. That's so good. Yeah. Cause that shows that you're alongside them. Yes. And just curiosity shows that you're alongside them. And that's where we yeah. want to be as parents. Yes always alongside exactly uh because we can't do their life for them but we can walk with them so it's not as hard for them to do it by themselves yeah and if i would have known what i know now i would have taken that opportunity to well before he would have said that i would have already had him in adoption competent therapy and he would have been working on this stuff a long time ago as it was i had no idea that adoption was an issue at all until my friend after his suicide attempt said, you know what, you might want to look into this. <laughs> so, and you then think? I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. So it was a huge eye opening, awakening and painful time for me. Like, Oh fuck. Yeah. I guess it did make a difference. I guess he didn't just figure he's just in a new family and it's all fine. It did make a difference. It did make a difference. <sighs> So, and I think that the answer in those moments and all of the tough parenting moments, the answer isn't in the words. The answer is in the orientation that the words are coming from, that the feelings are coming from. I practice yoga and yoga is a practice. So I have this practice of when I get stressed in a pose or whatever, I breathe and I tune into my breath. And in that moment, I'm connected with myself I'm a little bit more hyper aware. It's easier to connect hearts from that place. And when you kind of do those things, a more connected approach will flow from that. So it's never about trying to get the right words. Okay. Okay. So I don't need to worry about exact wording, but it's more the impetus behind it. Yeah. The connection, the desire to connect and the desire to walk along beside. Yeah. And to understand what, what it looks like from his point of view in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful. Now, when you adopted your kid, they're in their early twenties. Is that right? Yes. I have a 19 year old son and a 21 year old daughter. Okay. Was open adoption popular back then? Or were you kind of on the front edge of that movement? We were, we were probably on the, on the early edge. I think it's much, much bigger now, Yeah. but we were figuring out from scratch. I have since found out and I've interviewed people who were doing it 10 years before we were, before there was anything about it. They just kind of went out on their own and pioneered this thing that made more sense. But I love that this new phase, and we're not there yet. Stage one was closed adoption. Stage two is open adoption. And adding in contact is part of it, but it's not the whole thing. 
I would call stage three where we need to head openness in adoption, which is where we parents are doing our own work. We're aware of what our own triggers and wounded parts are. We're healing ourselves. We're working on ourselves, uh, always a work in progress, so that our child is not having to navigate our issues while they're figuring out their own identity and all that. So that's the openness piece is this kind of, I imagine this clear channel inside me between my head and my heart. And I am not perfect. I mean, that doesn't exist, but I am at least aware of when I'm being triggered. Mm -hmm. That's so important and so excellent. That's excellent, excellent advice. And that means that even someone like me with my son's adoption is absolutely closed because it's in Japan. And they said, we don't ever want to talk to you ever again. That was the whole point of getting them out of the country. But you're saying that even with our closed adoption, we could have an openness in adoption. Is that exactly? And one of the one of the downsides of the open adoption era is it lets it excludes a lot of adoptive families. If you adopted internationally and you don't have contact or you don't know who they are, you you don't get to have that contact. So does that mean you don't get to have an open adoption? Yeah. I would say no. I would say openness is an inside job. And you create that in your home whether yeah. birth parents are there or not. It can happen in, in foster adoption situations. Those mm-hmm. families can feel excluded if birth family members are not safe at a certain point in time yeah. to have contact yeah. with. And then in in the um, over time, you know, relationships ebb and flow over time, open adoptions don't always stay open. There's always somebody that could be opting out, including the birth parent and including Uh the adoptee. So Uh contact is such an imperfect measure for whether or not an adoption is open. That's so good because I admit before I met you, when I thought open adoption, I just thought, okay, you're still in communication with the birth family or birth parents, maybe not even the family. Um, but you're making it much bigger. And I bet it also involves the whole birth family, grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles and all that genetic pool and history and heritage. So that's much different than just sending a letter six times a year or whatever people do. I don't know. Yeah. If your contact feels like checking a box Mm. or doing something out of obligation or duty, Mm -hmm. your Mm -hmm. child is not going to feel that both andness. Uh-huh. between your two families to the degree that they would if it's not so obligatory. You know, if you're having contact because you value that family. Uh-huh. What about if, I see this a lot in the adoption forums that I'm in. What about if the birth family is chaotic, struggling with addiction or mental health, trying to take advantage? I don't know. I see all sorts of degrading things about birth families. What, what are we supposed to do as adoptive families? Well, I mentioned that in stage one, we had a wall between the two families. In stage two, we put a door in that wall. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And the problem with the door is it has two settings, open or closed. And if an adoptive parent is not doing their own work, when they get insecure, they start looking for reasons to close that door. Yeah, it doesn't take much usually. (laughs) Stage three, the prop I have in my mind for that is more like a screen door. Okay. And that's where a screen door helps you. You set the mesh so that it lets in all that is beneficial uh-huh. and keeps out anything that might be harmful. And when I say that, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about elements of things. So if there is drug use going on, mm-hmm. how would you set your mesh to let in what does serve you and your child, but keep out the parts that, that don't? 
I mean, maybe you find ways to, you work with the birth parent to show up sober or you find a pocket of time when they can do that for a time, but you make it a priority and you get, when, when you're trying to let in everything you can let in, Mm -hmm. you get really creative. But if you focus on contact first, you're looking for reasons not to have openness. If you focus on openness first, then you get really creative of how to have contact. You really want to have that contact because it serves your child if you've got your mesh calibrated well. Yeah. A lot of times I see the adoptive parents saying, well, we had a meeting set up and they fucked it up and they didn't show up and I can't, I just can't do this. I can't do this. They're not reliable as if that's the most important thing. And I think, God, imagine being the birth family, the birth parent, you know, how anxiety provoking must that be and how much deep feelings that must get you going with to think, okay, I'm going to go see my child that I am not raising. And these other adoptive parents hate me and God, no wonder they're canceling (laughs) Yeah. And I see that all the time. I was given kind of a new look at this by somebody I'm doing some work with. Her name is Kelsey Vandervliet Renyard, and she is a birth mom. And we have been doing a vlog series along with Sarah Easterly, who's a, an adoptee. The three of us approach a certain issue. And one of these episodes that we did was on problematic behaviors of birth parents. Mm. And what Kelsey taught me in that episode is that context is everything. So if we adoptive parents get curious about that behavior, Mm -hmm. instead of starting with condemnation, if we get Mm -hmm. curious, what's behind that? What's the context for that? Yeah. If we try to start to understand either by having a conversation with our child's birth parent, if, if that's something we can do, sometimes that's Uh just not, but, but understanding from another birth parent, asking other people, why do you always have to show up with a boyfriend? Why, mm-hmm. you know, why is substance use still part of your life when you know what it's cost you? Not, not the why, I'm not saying why, but like, help me understand. Help me understand. Yes. Me that, understand. that try to try to put yourself in their shoes. Yeah. How must that feel to come crawling to the, the adoptive parents' house saying, can I please touch my baby? You know, yeah. that must just, just bring so much pain to the birth mother. And you know what? I, I think that we need to hear from birth parents more in our culture. We're, I think we're getting better about listening to adoptees, mm-hmm. a little bit better. But the birth parent piece, I feel like, man, that's a tough, tough, tough thing. I just would like to hear more. I think I need to find some birth parents to put on this show and for myself to just talk to some more birth parents because I have a lot of a lot of empathy and compassion for what they've been through. Yeah. And the relationships are so complex that we can't leave out anybody at the table, either in our microcosm of our own adoption relationships, but in the bigger world, all of those voices need to be heard and understood for us to do adoption better. Yeah. Adoption is just, it's just a lot of pain. Uh, Not just, it, it contains a lot of pain all the way around. And I didn't, I didn't know that. I hope that this episode and other, uh, other adoption episodes we've done and other, you know, Lori's book and everything just helps everybody open their eyes to, gosh, it's complicated. It's complicated. And I I did mention that one of the blogs we did, the video blogs we did on YouTube was called, our project is called Three Sides to Every Adoption. Mm. I think we're going to change it to three plus sides to every adoption. But this episode was on problematic behaviors of birth parents. But of course, we also have one called problematic behaviors of adoptive parents. So I would encourage everybody to listen to those. When we walk around the issue 360 degrees, you kind of get more 
than than you originally knew. That's very good. I'm definitely going to check that out. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. There's also the book. Have you read the book, The Seven Core Issues in Adoption and Permanency? Yeah, that's a that's a really good, that's a really well done book. Yeah, and it it goes through loss, rejection, guilt, shame, grief, identity, intimacy, and mastery and control from all three sides. Right. That was very eye opening to me. That was really intense and important to read about all of those that all three of us in the triad share that. And now they're, they're using constellation instead of triad. I see that more and more. What is, why are we switching out of triad? I think there's so many, the, the effect of adoption, the ripples out is so much bigger than just the three main players. There's the parented children from the birth mom. There's perhaps the biological children from the adoptive parents. There's birth grandparents, there's adoptive grandparents, there's adoption professionals. It ripples out a lot more than just the three people who are are living living it as their lives. Yeah, I like that. Adoption constellation. I like that very much. So besides your book and your podcast and your vlog, are there any other things that you're up to lately that you would like to talk about? Or would you like to go into any of those in more detail? My book is called The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption, and it's been out about nine years now. I would love to do an update because there's things that I've, in nine more years of parenting, I've, I've learned so uh-huh. many more things. But that's where my adoption podcast kind of took off is because I wanted to put out there everything that I wished I'd known earlier. And yeah. so much of that comes from what we were talking about, listening to birth parents mm-hmm. and listening to adoptees. And listening to adoptive parents who are a little further on the journey than I was. Mm-hmm. And they found out through hard knocks and trial and error. Mm-hmm. So that's called adoption, the long view. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I heard loud and clear that adoptees say is that to adoptive parents, adoption tends to be like an event that happened yeah. in the past. And to an adoptee, it's a journey that lasts their whole lives. And I think that's one of the ways where we can shift we adopt parents, mm. how we see adoption is, mm. it is a lifelong journey. Yeah, I agree very much so. Well, and I, I am looking forward to collaborating with you on a couple of different projects. And Me too. I'm so glad to know another adoptive parent. There's, there's not a lot of, of vocal adoptive parents out there. I know there are a lot that are in line with kind of what our philosophy is, but I think there's a lot more that are do not talk about my child's birth family <laughs> that are that are pretty closed off. So I'm glad to know that there's other adoptive parents that are on the on board. And um, do you ever feel like in the adoption world space that adoptive parents get heaped on that <laughs> that we're the bad guys? We do. I think there's heaping on. Well, as they say, hurt people hurt people. So yeah. Yeah. there's heaping on by hurt people. People have been hurt in adoption because we were yeah. not practicing adoption in line with yeah. the human experience. We were expecting people to ignore that a really big thing had happened to all three yeah. of us. Yes. And to never think about it again, never talk, never process your trauma. In what other world would we say that that's okay? Yeah. <laughs> not yeah. today anyway. No. No, yeah, trauma is becoming a much bigger, or maybe it's just me because I'm deep diving into it. But I feel like trauma is more acceptable to talk about nowadays, and yeah, it's more on people's lips lately. So I have heard it said that we are the winners. We are the one in, uh, of the three major yeah. players. We win, and so I think that leads a little bit to heaping on of trauma on us. Yeah, but at the same time, we drive the engine. We are the ones 
with the money that goes to the agencies or the attorneys or the brokers Mm-hmm. And we keep the engine going. So I think right. because of that, we do end up with all the power. We don't have the power yeah. going into it. We have the power coming out of it. And with that power comes a responsibility to do our very best, at least by our children in our own homes, by doing our own work. And even in the wider world, there's a lot of us who have become activists because we yeah. see that things are not being done well. And yeah we are moved to make a change. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. The adoptee obviously has zero power in the situation. And the birth parent often has zero power. They're being coerced. They're being bought. They're being shamed, especially if they're young, powerless, you know. So yeah, I think definitely the adoptive parent is definitely the one that has the most choice in the matter out of all three. Yeah. So I don't blame anyone for heaping it on us. It doesn't feel great. But I, we were the ones with the most choice out of all three. And I would like to return to when you were talking about a group called You're the Mom, You're Your Mom. You are mom. Just that vibe. If we talk about the vibe is how you show up, mm-hmm. that just feels so either or to me. It feels yeah. dismissive of half yeah. of the child's identity. Yeah. And it feels also like a prop up. Like yeah. I need this group to legitimize that I'm the mom. Yeah. Now, maybe people from that group will find this episode and have a lot to say to yeah. you and I. About, yeah, maybe they will. That's okay. <laughs> but that sounds to me like it comes from an unhealed place. Yeah, I think so. I think that when it's so defensive, their walls are up because they just aren't ready to really look at it square in mm-hmm. the eye, I guess. Mm-hmm. Are you anti-adoption? Is there ever a time where adoption is really the best thing to do? I am not anti-adoption. I think adoption has always existed in in humankind, and I think it always will. There will be children created for people who are not ready, willing, able Mm -hmm. to opt in on that. And we need to provide safe, ethical, open, whole ways to come up with a second best plan. It is not as good as being raised by your biological kin in most, there should be no sweeping statements, but if a child can be raised by biological family that are ready, willing, and eager to opt in, that needs to be explored. If that is not possible, then we need to find a way to do trans family adoptions better. I think not taking them halfway across the world would be a good start. Yeah. Maybe keep them closer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Closer to where they started from. Keep them in the same language or. The less severing, the better. When we suffer yeah. from culture, language, history, mm-hmm. uh, and family, this is this is why open adoption is a step forward. We're we're, we're not severing the whole family. We yes. are maintaining at the, to the degree we can maintain connections. I think that's how we do adoption better. Yeah, maintaining connections—that is the key. That is the key, and that is hard because we're humans. We're all humans, and we're all hurt and. Uh, traumatized. And it's really, really hard. It's a tall, tall order. But I think if we keep aiming toward that, that it's going to be better for our children. That's the main thing, right? Yeah. To, to help our children's lives be better because it's really, really hard to grow up adopted. And the healthier we are as mm-hmm. the adoptive parents in this, the, the healthier anybody can be, the better we can contribute to making the whole thing better. So this doing your own work so important. Everything comes out of that. You can't fix anything or anybody else, but you can know yourself better. You can heal yourself. 
through knowing yourself. And I think that that's at the core. Yeah, definitely. I have learned so much from all of this that I've dug into and from watching my son's growth. And I've found out that I have attachment issues. I'm not adopted, but you know, everyone can have attachment issues, adopted or not. And there's a lot of things that I can relate to Joey about, you know, not everything, obviously, but there's a lot that I can go, oh, yeah, I know what that feels like. So those points of connection that we can make with our kids, I think it's all really, really good. And how can people find you? What's your website or best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, my website is lavenderlose.com. And on there is 15 years of blog writing. Older posts show the earlier parts in my own development. Future posts will probably show something different. As I hope as I continue to evolve and change. My podcast episodes are always posted there. Anything new I'm up to is always posted there. So that's kind of the one-stop shop on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at LavLuz, L-A-V-L-U-Z. And my book is probably on your library bookshelf or oh, yeah. get it off of Amazon. Yeah, yeah. Good old Amazon. They have everything. <laughs> uh, good. Well, uh, go check out all of Lori's stuff. I will put all of those links on and I'm sure our paths are going to be crossing here in the future as well. We're, we're going to be uh, on the same team working to help our, our kids and the world be uh, a safer and more compassionate place to grow up in. Mm -hmm. So more connected. Yeah, more connected all the way around. So I'm grateful for our connection. Thank you so much, Lori, for coming on to the pod. Thank you. Beth. It's just been wonderful talking with you. I love sitting down with people who are open and curious as well. Because it feels like everything is possible. Mm -hmm. All of the problems that we have created in the way we did adoption, they can be addressed and redesigned by people who are open and curious and compassionate. So I've mm -hmm. loved sitting with you. Ah, me too. I really, I feel like I found a new friend in this journey and I'm very, very grateful. Please go ahead and find Safe Home Podcast on YouTube and on all the social media apps. Please join us on Patreon if you're interested in helping us maintain this commercial-free podcast, patreon.com slash safe home. I also have a brand new group for adoptive parents that are willing to look at this kind of stuff and no unicorns and butterflies, but truth and connection and compassion. So the group is called Aptitude. I don't know if anyone gets it, but the first two letters, AP, Aptitude, Adoptive Parent, AP, get it? <laughs> and you can find all that on our website, which is safehomefamilies.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you share this episode with anyone you know that's in the adoption constellation or anyone who runs into adoptees. You know, they're everywhere, teachers, therapists, all sorts of people that aren't themselves in the adoption constellation also need to learn this stuff. So please pass this episode along to them. We really appreciate you listening. We know that there's many, many things you can be listening to and giving your attention to, and we really appreciate you listening into Safe Home. So thanks again for coming on over. And Lori and I want you all to stay safe.